Every winter for the last 13 years, I've been in India. Every January um, for the last 13 years, I've been in India. And so when I was thinking about what to talk about tonight, it didn't surprise me that one of the memories that I had was of the last time I was in India, which was last January. This is the first time that I've actually been in England this time of year. And I, I hear that I, it's, I'm fortunate that it's rather mild because it can be somewhat bitter at this time of the year. Last year, well, I go to, I go to India to teach uh, with Christopher Titmus and some other teachers at the Bodhgaya retreat, which is in North India. And every year at this time, and, and right now, uh, the retreat is happening there. Um, every year for about the last 20 years or so, or more, this retreat's been going on. It's a 20-day retreat with about 130 yogis from all over the world who come for either 10 days or 20 days. And I wanted to also tune into them for a moment because um, they're there right now, Christopher and Yanai, Polsponik and Kathy McGee, some of the teachers from Guy House are there right now, some of our friends. And some of our friends who are in the hall right now have been at the Bodhgaya retreat. Bodhgaya is the place that the Buddha was enlightened. And the retreat that we hold is just a few, uh, few yards, a few hundred yards or so down from the Bodhi tree where the Buddha sat and attained liberation. So it's quite a sacred place, quite a holy place. And just for a moment, I wanted to bring that, that energy here with us, that energy of liberation right from the Bodhi tree. Last year when I was there, last January, I also had the good fortune of being there at a time that the Dalai Lama was there. The Dalai Lama, the great religious leader of Tibet, and he was giving teachings in Bodhgaya for about four or five days at the same time that our retreat was going on. So being um, one of the teachers, not the yogi, yogis, I could go out of the retreat. The yogis couldn't go out. They had to stay <laughs> in the retreat. They weren't allowed out of the temple grounds for the ten days that the retreat was going on. We even have uh, strict rules there when great teachers like the Dalai Lama are just down the road. So I went down to the grounds where the Dalai Lama was giving his teachings in the morning. And the Indians and the Tibetans had erected these great tents, amazingly large tents that could hold probably um, 5,000 people. And they just put these tents up just for the time the Dalai Lama was giving the teachings. And then five or six days later, they would take them down. <laughs> very very um, symbolic of impermanence. You can just see things kind of appearing and disappearing there very quickly. So I went down to the teachings and the, t the Dalai Lama was giving the teachings on the Bodhisattva vow, the teachings of the, the great compassion, great compassion. And I sat there a few mornings, not I wasn't able to go all the mornings, but I sat there, and most of it was was given in Tibetan. 
So the Dalai Lama was there on, on the stage, and there were probably about, you know, I would say 2,000 Tibetan pilgrims who were there as well, and a number of Westerners who, that, who were also there for the Dalai Lama's teachings. And I would sit there, I was by myself, and I would sit there on the side of the stage. I couldn't really see him very well, but his voice was coming over the loudspeaker, chanting in Tibetan, speaking in Tibetan, and sometimes it was translated in English. And the, he was giving the, giving the teachings of the Bodhisattva vow. <laughs> now, the Bodhisattva vow is the aspiration to attain the highest enlightenment for the sake of all beings. That only one who is in the highest state of awakening can really save all sentient beings from their suffering. It's such a great task. And in order to be able to have such great compassion, one must attain a great level of awakening in order to achieve this task. And the, the Dalai Lama was giving this teaching to anybody who wanted to take this vow, anybody who wanted to take into their heart this aspiration to save all sentient beings from their suffering. And in the giving of the vow, there were a number of very specific vows that we had to repeat, vows that we would take. Uh, for example, to vow to create even-mindedness that is free from all desire and hatred with regards to all sentient beings. You know, a vow to really work with the mind so that it's even, that we would not move towards desire and hatred as a way to liberate all beings. And when I would sit there and take this in, not only was I struck by the profundity of the teaching and what was being offered, but also by the great compassion of the Dalai Lama that he, would, he was, was there actually asking people to take this vow. You know, to, he had such great compassion for all beings that he was, he was opening the possibility that more beings could, could take this aspiration to heart so that, that there may actually be a possibility to save beings, to save beings everywhere. And when I was sitting there, I was just, the, 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 the immensity of the compassion that was being spoken at that time was overwhelming. Just felt overwhelming to me that here we were in this very sacred place and that, the, that there were so many beings, so many people there who cared enough about the suffering that was happening on this planet and the suffering that was happening within themselves that they would want to aspire to relieve this pain, to free all beings. And it was, it was immense. It was, you know, thousands of people chanting and speaking and taking on the vow, and it was the energy <laughs> was just so, so large, so big, that it was just overwhelming. And I felt a level of, of, of depth of feeling in myself at that, of, of, of compassion and care and respect that I've never felt before. So besides actually taking the vow, is just being in the midst of that, being in, in the midst of an energy field that was, was holding that intention, 
was holding that intention for freedom, for the release of pain and suffering in this world. Very, very powerful. So I had the opportunity, opportunity to feel something at that level, feel something at that profundity, and also to take on that, take on the vow, take on that aspiration for myself, and to feel that into the depths of my being. So I tell the story as a way to sort of symbolize possibility, you know, the, the possibility to really embody heartful qualities, to embody something that feels very true and very authentic in our being. We can talk about the way of heartfulness, you know, we can talk about the qualities of heart, you know, the words very easily roll off the tongue, you know, speaking of, of kindness, you know, being kind to ourselves and others, or, or being truthful, being patient, being compassionate towards ourselves and what we see, being generous, being open-handed, not being tight-fisted, being respectful to all living beings, not harming any living, living being. And these are all the, the qualities uh, that are possible as we walk along the path. And when we hear those words, something really touches us. I think, you know, there's, certainly it touches me. When I just hear the word, I hear the word compassion. There's a way that, 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 that speaks to me. There's something that resonates for me in my, in my being. If I hear, hear the word generosity, it touches something. But I think that we too easily stop there. We too easily just stop with the sort of the good feeling that it gives us to either intellectualize about these um, uh, ideas or to even to practice them somewhat. But there's an immense possibility to actually embody these qualities as a way of life so that we become so attuned to the arising within ourselves when we're not doing these things, when we're not acting in a generous or a kind or a patient way, that somehow we become so sensitive within ourselves and around others that we really, we just know when something is moving more towards the unskillful or the negative or harmful. And there's a way that we actually don't tolerate it. We don't really tolerate it when we see it in ourselves, and we don't really tolerate it when we see it outside of ourselves. These qualities become so important. They become the most important thing in our life. It's not just something that sort of, you know, something we practice every now and then, or we give some, you know, lip service to, or we, we even, even if we take it in, we want this for ourselves, but then we kind of forget, we get caught up in other things, we, 
we get caught up in the momentum of our, of our life, of our relationships, of our, our work, and somehow we sort of forget. We forget what's important. <coughs> I've just spent um, a month in Florida with my mother because my father just passed away in the middle of November. They were living in the, in the south of Florida, and I had the chance to clear my schedule enough to be able to spend that month with my mother to sort of help her through that difficult transition. And it was interesting, aside from all that went on with the, with the grieving process and the dying process with my father, just to be in that, in her area of living for one month, because I was completely isolated from my Dharma community. I did not have one friend who understood or knew anything about my life or what I, I practiced or what I was about. I was quite alienated for that month, and it was the first time that I was actually immersed in a very different culture, a very different culture that had no awareness of Dharma, or really I would say very much awareness of spirituality or spiritual values, but we're mostly just caught up in the day-to-day. She lives in a community, she's 75 years old, and lives in a what's called a condominium community of about 300 or 400 people, about average age, 60 years old. And so just was in that world for a while. And it was very good for me because I really saw in a way that I haven't seen before how people get caught, <laughs> how people aren't really practicing or attuned to some of the, the values that are important to me, the values of the heart, these heartful qualities. They are in their own way. Certainly, people who aren't practicing or aren't on a spiritual or religious path or on a dharmic path, I'm not saying that they don't also embody very beautiful qualities. And yet what I see is there isn't really the awareness to work with things. There wasn't the awareness to really work with one's own mind or to be able to, to notice or be in tune when interactions were happening that weren't actually very helpful or, very, uh, or, or were hurtful, a way that it was all just kind of happening but with not so much awareness of the situation. And it really gave me an opportunity of feeling even more gratitude for, for the teachings and for the practice that I'm involved with, which really allow for the possibility of some transformation that allow for the possibility of some real change of heart, real change of ways, and particularly the possibility to be free from pain and suffering. The possibility for real freedom, the possibility for real deep peace and happiness in our life. Because as we all know, there's a great deal of suffering out there, or in here. We don't have to even go so far out there. You know, we can just see it within ourselves. And what the teachings offer us is this great possibility for transformation, really embodying some very profound ways of being. And so what I wanted to just ask you to reflect on as you are here these hours, the rest of these hours here together, 
is just reflecting on how you live, how you are living, how you are actually embodying these principles or these values that are important to you. And I know that they are because we're all human. (laughs) We're all the same, really. And we all want to be happy. All beings want to be happy. All beings want to live in peace. And so we can ask ourselves, well, how are we living? How are we living our lives? And what, what are we making important in our lives? Are we actively working on transformation? Are we actively working with change? Or do we find, and it's a word I use today in one of the small groups, do we find we get somewhat complacent? It's very easy to just kind of go along with the, the day-to-day, the sort of the way we've always done things in the past and the way we're doing things now, and we just, just get a little bit uh, complacent at times. We get caught in the, in the momentum of things. And there may not be really a sense of urgency or, or, or wakefulness in the midst of what's going on. So to take some time for reflection, to reflect while you're here, and even asking yourself what is important. What is important in the way that you live? What is important in this life? And I think the fact that you are here, (laughs) that you're here this weekend, is already an indication that something is awake, (laughs) that something is stirring, something is moving within you. Because even to get here, even to, you know, all that it takes, all the effort, all the arrangements, all the planning, all the setting time aside, making arrangements with your partners or your families, whatever, to really get yourselves here to God's house is, a, is already quite a, quite a big intention, quite a strong intention. So it already shows that something is touching you quite deeply, something stirring within you quite profoundly. So you should come here to take a look, to see what can be awakened, what can be discovered. And that's really, it already is quite a profound statement of where you are along your path. So we have a sense of these qualities. We have a sense of these qualities of heart, these qualities of being. And the meditation practice, the meditation teachings, actually give us quite a lot of resources to show us how we can cultivate these qualities, how we can bring these qualities of heart more alive in ourselves, how we can begin to embody these, these ways of being. And that's, that's what's very inspiring for me, that the information is out there. It's like the, 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 the models are out there. When we turn our attention, when we tune in, there's, there's a lot available for us to tune into here. The Buddha laid out a map, a whole map, a whole pathway to enlightenment, to freedom, to, to liberation. And some people choose that pathway. It's not the only one. There's many pathways to that profound peace. 
that profound happiness. So how do we cultivate these qualities? How do we make the practice much more alive for us? Because as I was saying today in one of the, the groups, is meditation to me is about aliveness. It's not about having certain experiences of either calm or, or, or stillness or peace or bliss or light or floating kind of quality. Meditation isn't about getting certain experiences, but rather, for me, it's more about that sense of real wakefulness, being awake in my life, being, being in touch, being connected with this present moment, this present experience, whatever it is. It's sort of that, like, the experience is, is, is secondary. What's actually happening is not actually that important. It's, it's not that relevant. But am I awake? Am I connected? Not half asleep, you know, just sort of a little bit not sure what's going on, you know. Well, see, I'm, I'm not really sure um, what I'm supposed to do tomorrow or... Yeah, I had, I had this feeling. I'm not really sure what I was feeling. I don't know what was going on the last two hours. You know, I mean, we're sometimes not really that connected with, with ourselves. But the meditation, there's a possibility of a real kind of, I, I like the word fire. You know, it's almost like a fire energy that starts to rise inside. And we just feel so much more here, so much more present in our lives. And it doesn't matter so much what's happening. You know, again and again, particularly in the beginning of our meditation practice, because there, there can be that tendency to want certain experiences in our meditation. But to be reminded again and again that it isn't what's happening, but are we present for it? Are we present for it? Even if we feel quite uncomfortable and unsettled and agitated and restless in ourselves, lots of chattering, chattering uh, thoughts and stories and memories and sleepiness. That's okay. That's the present reality. Is there a sense of being aware of that, of knowing that that's happening? Just that. You know, one of my teachers, Joseph Goldstein, who I've done a lot of work with at the Insight Meditation Society, he would just say, do you know what's happening? <laughs> Do you know what's happening? That awareness is knowing. Awareness is knowing what's happening. doesn't matter what's happening. Do you know what's happening? Because it's through that knowing, it's through that mindful attention that we can bring about some change. When the habitual patterns, when the strong patterns of mind take over, of greed and hatred and um, and, and confusion and anger and uh, grief. And those patterns take over. Sometimes we can get lost in them. They can overwhelm consciousness. And we may have a sense that we're not very there, we're not very connected, we're very consumed by what's going on. We get quite lost in, in the past memory or quite consumed with what might happen in the future. We may not have such a strong sense of connection with ourselves. 
But if we are feeling unsettled, we're feeling agitated, we don't really want to be here, uh, we don't like what's going on, we're feeling a little uh, angry about something, do we know what's happening? Do we know that? Can we, can we fully embrace that experience without judging or condemning or thinking it should be different? But a way of really opening to that with full awareness. Because then what we'll see is that it changes. It changes all by itself. There's not a lot we have to do about it. Today somebody was talking about uh, we were talking about this a little bit in one of the small groups, and and uh, one of the gentlemen said that, well, sometimes he, he, I hope he doesn't mind my saying this, but we share things in monasteries, but that he was feeling a great deal of grief about some things that had happened at work. And sometimes he would find himself just crying, just crying about that deep grief, and just finding himself just being a crying blob or a crying hulk. I'm not sure what word he used and somehow thinking that he was out of the meditation, somehow had lost the meditation. And what I really wanted to point out was it didn't have to be a loss of the meditation, but can there be just the full awareness of that crying, just being right there in the middle of that feeling of grief, feeling the the heat in the face and the water coming down the cheeks and the and the, 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 the contraction in the heart and the heat in the body and just letting that crying happening, just let the crying go, being right there. It, nothing has to change. Nothing has to be different. That is the meditation. Meditation isn't outside of that. And then what we see and what, what, what we will see when we're really in the midst of a strong emotion as we allow it to move through and allow it to release, that it goes. It goes. It changes, as all things do. Particularly if we're not somehow trying to get rid of it, we're not thinking it's not okay to be having this deep grief, Um, what does it mean about me that I'm going through this, I shouldn't be feeling this way, I should be strong. But to just say, yeah, I just feel this. I feel this profound grief, some horrible things have happened. And allowing the body to express its own natural intelligence. It's an intelligent expression. So that we're not interfering with it and then it releases and it's gone. It may come back in some different forms, different, different manifestations. That arises, that shows itself and that releases. We don't have to interfere. One of the phrases I like very much in the meditation is, the, is, is a non-interfering awareness. Bringing a non-interfering awareness to our experience. We don't interfere. We don't have to embellish what's happening. We don't have to make it more than it actually is what we often do through our stories. We build more and more and more stories on top of each other and something becomes so big, much bigger than it was when it began. And we don't have to ignore, pretend or deny that something isn't really there. You know, make ourselves different in that way. Oh, well, I'm not, I don't really feel grief. 
you know, it's not okay to feel grief. I really need to be strong. You know, it's okay. Just to allow the life, allow life to move, allow life to move through. We find that we can be present for that and that it's the meditation. I always find it's quite important to remind us, remind us not to create the separation between what's meditation and what isn't meditation. That more and more we can see all of our life, every moment of our life as the meditation. That there isn't an, sort of a, an in and out, an in and out. But that the meditation in a way is this attitude, it's an attitude towards being present. It's an intention, an intention to connect, an intention to be here for what's happening. But that, in a way, is, is more of what the meditation is than what actually occurs, what actually happens. Is that, is that, that, I think the best word is intention, the intention to be present without interfering, without <coughs> building something up without taking something away, but allowing things to be as they are. And so therefore, every moment of our existence can be a meditative experience. I hope you're getting a sense of how we don't have to go outside. It's like there doesn't have to be an outside of meditation. (laughs) Just like Meditation doesn't have to end when we walk out the door in the back. We keep that mindful wakefulness, even as we're walking out the door, even as we go and we look at the notice board, as we walk in to get a cup of tea, as we walk outside. We know what's happening. We're connected. We know that we're walking. We know that we're thinking. We know that we're feeling. We know what we're feeling because we're interested. (laughs) We want to know. We want to be in touch. It was interesting, a number of people today talked about how noticing that when there was pain in the body, This one woman particularly was talking about having back pain and noticing how easy it was for her mind to move into fantasy, to start thinking about work and thinking about back there, back home and all these things as a way to escape or not feel the pain, which is a very natural response, I think, you know, it can be very uncomfortable, very, very uncomfortable in the body. But she, she was seeing that, it was, that that movement to fantasy was actually a response because she didn't want to be with the pain. She actually saw that connection, that it was a way of escaping, a way of maybe n- numbing out the pain. But what was interesting was the realization that those thoughts actually didn't give her much relief. (laughs) That the thoughts were actually somewhat painful. (laughs) Thinking about what was going on at work, thinking about relationships, it wasn't that satisfying. 
And that in some way, that actually being connected with the body and feeling into the discomfort was more satisfying. It was more satisfying than the escape. And now that's a subtle insight. That's a very subtle awareness. And unless we actually see that or have the experience of something like that, there may be the assumption that going off into the fantasy is actually an escape. (laughs) And it's more satisfying. But when we look more carefully and we feel that split, we feel that separation, we feel that way that we're actually cut off from ourselves, we feel the, 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 un- the discomfort of that. We feel the discomfort of the split. We feel the, the unsatisfac- unsatisfactory nature of actually not being here. And as we get more subtle, as we get more subtle with our mindfulness and our awareness, we start to feel that agitation itself. The agitation that arises when we're not here, when we're not home, (laughs) when we're not connected, when the, the agitation of separation, the restlessness of fragmentation, And we see that it doesn't work anymore. And it's actually one of the sad parts of meditation because we can't get away with our old habits anymore. It's like, oh no, (laughs) it doesn't work. (laughs) It used to give me so much gratification to go off in fantasy. And now I know better. We can't really do it anymore because we know better. And so then we're sort of left with the reality, which is that often it doesn't feel good. Often it doesn't feel very good to be here, to be home, to be in our body, to feel what's going on. But it actually gives us a sense of more wholeness than when we split off, than than when we go off into the past and into the future, into these imaginary realities that aren't true where it's not true. There's a way that we start to feel more complete, more whole in that truth, in the truth of our being, even if it's, un- even if it's uncomfortable. Even if it's uncomfortable. And that's when our practice really starts to shift. Something, something changes there. Because then it means that we can be present in our lives even for the sorrow, even for the pain, even for the discomfort, for the restlessness, for the confusion, for the anger, for the hatred. We can be there. And we're not split off. (laughs) That's the beginning. The beginning of coming into wholeness coming into completeness or coming home, coming home to ourselves. They say this is the, the world of the 10,000 joys and the 10,000 sorrows. And can we open to them all? Can we be here for them all? 
because it is joyful and it is sorrowful. It's not one or the other and it's never going to be either one or the other. When we really look closely in our lives, we see that experience changes from the pleasurable to the unpleasant and in between. Just moves back and forth. Very pleasurable on that continuum of very pleasurable to very unpleasant. Just moves. Experience just moves. And that's life. Can we be there? Can we be there for it to see what can be discovered? What we can awake to in ourselves? I wanted to read a poem from Rumi called The Guest House. Somebody on a retreat gave this to me. The great poet Rumi. This being human is a guest house. Every morning a new arrival, a joy, a depression, a meanness, Some momentary awareness comes as an unexpected visitor. Welcome and entertain them all. Even if they're a crowd of sorrows who violently sweep your house empty of its furniture, still treat each guest honorably. They may be clearing you out for some new delight. The dark thought, the shame, the malice, Meet them at the door laughing and invite them in. Be grateful for whoever comes because each has been sent as a guide from beyond. I think it's good advice. Meet them at the door laughing. We can each interpret that in our own way, what it means to be laughing. Maybe it means just to be open-hearted, to keep a sense of humor. Very helpful to keep a sense of humor. (laughs) So can we do that while we're here, just to Practice. Practice because this is life. You know, even though we're here on retreat, this is life. (laughs) It's life only we're able to be a little bit more attentive to what's going on. It's all still going on. Feelings, moods, sights, sounds, taste, touch, smells, thoughts. Life moving through. It's not like the world out there, <laughs> which is what we say sometimes. You know, we're in here, but the world is out there. It's our escape from the world. It isn't really like that. So here we have life flowing through. So can we be here for it? And that's the practice. That's the meditation. Doesn't matter what it is. So not to judge it, not to condemn it, push it away. And even when we do, because we do, we do judge, we do condemn, we don't want certain experiences. But can we then catch that and not judge ourselves for judging? 
not condemn ourselves because we're condemning. You catch it somewhere along the continuum. All we have to do is just catch it in one place and the whole structure starts to crumble. We can't uphold the structure of our being in the same way once we start to see. Once we start to see how the whole thing is constructed. (laughs) Because we're not willing to put up with the pain any longer. So, just to encourage you to take some time to reflect. Just to reflect on how is it that you're living your life? What is important to you in your life? And maybe making some resolve while you're here, while, you've, while you're here and you feel some clarity, you feel some strength in yourself, making some resolve for what's important and that you will actively encourage transformation in your life and empower that intention, empower that aspiration for what's really true to your heart so that when you go back and you get caught up in the momentum of worldly life, there may be a little bit more possibility that you'll remember. So let's just take a few minutes to sit together. <laughs> 